Today's scripture reading comes from Revelation chapter 19, the first 10 verses. Revelation 19 verses 1 through 10. This is God's word. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So ends the reading of God's word. At this time, children ages three to kindergarten are dismissed to the little landing. Good morning, faith family at the landing. We are cruising through Revelation. We're already at chapter 19. It has gone by fast. I've enjoyed my study in it tremendously. It's hard to believe we're on the closing chapters of this glorious book of God's word. Let me pray once again and ask for God's help. You have to come by your Holy Spirit, Father, by the name and power of your Son, Jesus, to enliven and make useful my broken preaching, my weakness in life and in spirit, my emptiness and your fullness. You have to come by your Spirit and you have to drench this encounter with your word as you did the praying and the singing already you must continue to cause worship to happen over your word so that people are helped so that so that the lost are invited to come and believe on Christ and be saved so that the guilty are invited to repent in their hearts and to find forgiveness afresh there today and for the broken and weary to find healing and wholeness, for the estranged to find welcome, for the confused to find clear direction, for a thousand more wonderful eternal achievements to be accomplished, you have to come by your Spirit and grant the gift of teaching and prophecy 
and the gift of hearing and receiving and the gift of faith to believe and obey and the gift of joy to respond back to you in a manner worthy of your glory. Achieve all these great works and many more that I can't think of to ask. In your precious people, those whom you love, those for whom you have died, we representative of believers around the world and throughout this community, would you speak, Lord, to us by your Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, for we, your servants, are listening. In his name we pray, amen. This chapter, chapter 19, and especially verses 1 through 10, is the highest praise in all the Bible. You'll see why I say that. It's a breathtaking statement. That means it's the highest praise in all reality. It's what they're doing in heaven. It's what we will be doing in heaven when we're there with them. The highest praise in the Bible is Revelation 19, 1 through 10. In chapter 18, the anti-church Babylon, which boasts of itself in glory, has been destroyed. Why does Babylon boast in her glory? Because she has duped with the blood of Christians and all her lies and immorality and impurity. She's duped kings and merchants and captains of the world. All the great ones of the world followed Babylon. They bought and sold. They received the mark. She wielded power over them. Millions and millions of people who say, I want to be somebody. I want to be in the in crowd. And I need to have the mark so I can buy and sell. Babylon lures so many. She lures so many to this day. Not just outside of churches. There's nothing safe from Babylon inside this building. At all. Or even inside this worship service. Babylon is the greed, the pride, the lust, the covetousness, the laziness, the mockery, the gossip, the slander, the dragon-like riding on the vile beast of greed and using all structures to protect and keep secrets upon secrets, covering lie upon lie, hiding sin upon sin. Every person who doesn't care about your love relationship with Christ is part of Babylon. Every thought in your mind that doesn't honor your relationship with Christ is part of Babylon. The mark of Babylon is worshiping something God has created rather than worshiping God, the Creator. But Babylon has fallen. Chapter 18 shows the end of the age when God will cause the horrendous wickedness of Babylon to come to an end. God wins over Babylon, praise his holy name. And he's winning over Babylon on the earth right now. He's only permitting Babylon to do its dark work until his purposes are completed for the false anti-church. So verse 18, chapter 18, verse 20 says, Rejoice over her, O heavens, and you saints, apostles, and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. So heaven is rejoicing that Babylon has fallen. What does heaven's worship look like as heaven is rejoicing over fallen Babylon and worshiping and giving glory to God? You'll see at least my little eyes, my little mind, saw five observations of why heaven is worshiping God in the highest most beautiful, most powerful format we have in all the Bible. Here's the five I see. You might see five more that I don't see. Tell them to me later if you would. I'd love to know what you see. This chapter is richer and deeper than any of us can fully grasp. 
Why do they worship God in heaven? First, God is the avenger of his servants. Second, God is infinite in his greatness. Third, God is merciful to receive small and great. Fourth, God made his bride ready to wed. And fifth, God is revealed in his son, the Lord Jesus. This is the God of the Bible. Therefore, this is the God of the church. And this is the God of faithful churches around the world. This is the God that drives the landing. The landing is a vision of this God. The landing is not programs. It's not people. It's not a purpose. It's not a plan. It's not a people gathered because of pain. It's not a people gathered for anything other than this vision of God that you see before your eyes. Howard just read to us in Revelation 19. Every other vision of God, every other massaged and minimized vision of God, like God is a wax nose and you can heat him up and switch him around and put the nostrils where you like or the zits where you like or the hairs where you like, that's an unholy vision of God and should be rejected. This is a beautiful vision of God. Let your heart rise up to the point of saying, that's my God and I worship him with heaven even now. These five causes for worship create joy in heaven. You saw that in verse 20 of chapter 18, but you'll see it again. A command to give joy to God in worship. Heaven is rejoicing over these five things, even if they stretch you and me today as we look at them. They will, I promise you. Yet let your heart and your capacity for joy enlarge as you learn to worship with heaven the way heaven worships our God. First, worship God, for he is the avenger of his servants. You see it in verse 1. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Heaven loves the fact that everyone who died for Christ did not die in vain. Heaven loves the fact that everyone who spilled their blood for Christ did not spill their blood in vain. God is watching over all persons in Iran or Nigeria or in China or in India or elsewhere in the world who are dying for the sake of his name and he sees it and he remembers it and he brought against Babylon her guilt for killing precious holy servants who died for his name. So heaven says, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, and it proclaims with a loud voice, hallelujah. You see, Babylon offers salvation. Babylon offers her glory. Babylon offers her great power. You can't buy and sell unless you join me. I have glory and I'm not going to give it up, Babylon said. I have salvation that I offer you. You will, you will be able to enjoy reality. Come, I invite you, says Babylon, and millions follow. Yet the halls of heaven resound with the loud shouts of hallelujah, saying salvation, glory, and power actually belong to our God. What salvation and glory and power offer from Babylon is all a lie. It's all an empty lie. Her power is borrowed from God and it will be rescinded. Her glory is a complete sham and propaganda and her salvation is completely empty and without any hope or help. Isn't it stunning that all the nations from every tribe and tongue and people are invited to use this precious Hebrew word 
that shows up, I didn't know this, only here in the whole Bible. Hallelujah. Praise to Yahweh. It's a covenantal term. Only the Hebrews could use it. It didn't show up in any, it doesn't show up in any English translation except here in Revelation chapter 19, four different times. It isn't found anywhere else in the Bible. In Hebrew, it's found in the Hallel Psalms, Psalm 114 through 118, several times, but it's translated, praise the Lord. Here is the only hallelujah in the Bible. But what's stunning is, it's for true Jews to say, all who are beloved of Yahweh through faith in Christ, say hallelujah. That's our song of praise and our honor and worship to God. It's filled with joy. It says he loves us personally. We know him as Yahweh, the covenantal God, who has intimately taken us to be his bride. Just in this word, hallelujah. Heaven shouts it, and it gets louder and louder in this passage. This is the highest crescendo of worship in all the Bible. What does it sound like when the people of the landing cry out, hallelujah? Hallelujah! 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 We join with all heaven in proclaiming that God is our husband. We are saved and loved by him. Babylon no longer has any claim on our lives. We worship God with heaven because God is the avenger of all those who have died for him. So just, just as the death of his son, Jesus Christ, absorbs and removes all the guilt of every wrong done by his people, so his victory over Babylon avenges and resolves every wrong done to his people. Picture faces as you envision the crowd of heaven. Smoke of Babylon going up in the distance. And the brightness and the colors and the glory. The beauty of petals flying in the air and the sunshine and the thunderous waterfall sound of praise, hallelujahs, going up to the Lord. And, and you picture in the crowd faces that you know. Jim Elliott, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, all the apostles, John the Baptist with his head, William Tyndale, Lady Jane Grey, John and Betty Stamm, and millions more, safe Happy, singing praise to God with joy on their faces for their vindication by God has been won. Not one drop of blood shared and spilled by the saints goes unrequited by our great God. So they worship him in heaven with a loud hallelujah. Second, because they worship God's infinite greatness. Look at verse 3. Once more they cried out, hallelujah. The smoke from her, Babylon, goes up forever and ever. What does that have to do with God's infinite greatness? Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. Over in the corner of heaven, there's a, there's a gray cloud, and, and there's smoke wisping up forever and ever and ever as a constant demonstration and praise to God's justice never ends, never consumed, never fades away. Forever and ever, the smoke of Babylon's torment rises forever and ever because it is fitting, is it not, for an eternal sentence of infinite 
condemnation to be leveled against an eternal and infinite crime, the crime Babylon has committed against God in her blasphemies. Her crime is infinite because the worth of God is infinite. When you see this phrase, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever, all of heaven resounds with a thunderous hallelujah because it means, God, you're that precious. You're that vast. You're that great. Let your heart rise up to worship the God who is worthy to be worshipped by the smoke of the torment of his enemies forever. In this life, until this age is over, we have grief for the unbeliever. Weeping and sorrow, aching and loss. Paul said in Romans chapter 10, my heart is, is aching that my kinsmen, according to the flesh, might be saved, but they are not. We ache and yearn, for we know, Ezekiel 18, God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and would they not rather turn from their ways of sin and live? But when the age of heaven arrives, there won't be any grief or sorrow in heaven, none at all, ever. We're told plainly that heaven will be rejoicing and rejoicing alone, and it will not be mixed with any sin or sorrow, or grief, for all of God's plans and all of God's judgments will have proven true and just and right. Don't judge by your emotions. Don't judge by your, your, your growing, sanctifying, but not yet fully glorified sense of morality. Judge by what the plain reading of Holy Scripture says, in fact, that God is to be worshipped for His infinite greatness, for the smoke of His enemy goes up forever and ever. Is there a sense that there's poison from Babylon still lingering in your heart or mind? What's amazing, what's stunning, is not that God condemns Babylon and all who participate in it unrepentantly forever and ever with smoke that goes up. That's not what's amazing. What's amazing is that not all of us are in that. What's amazing is that I actually read this passage and, and, and with confidence because of Christ, I picture myself as one of the worshipers in heaven, not one of the burners in Babylon. But it may be like acid reflux, there's a sense of shame and guilt that rises up within you. And you do so very much to try to keep it down and calm. But when things grow out of hand and stress rises, so does this sense of guilt and shame. Do you know that you can take it to the cross? Do you know that you can be free of it and rid of it? Do you know that you can turn, that you can crucify the flesh, as Paul says in Romans 8.13, and live? Do you know that you need not live with one ounce of Babylon's poison coursing through your spiritual veins. Seize upon this moment as this worship service is quickly drawing to its conclusion. And in the instance of this moment, forget my words and listen only to the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, expose and root out everything of Babylon in me. Search me and try me and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the paths of life everlasting. They worship God for his infinite greatness. And third, they worship God because he's merciful to receive both small and great. 
Look at verses 4 and 5. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants. And you can just imagine the 24 elders and the four living creatures and the angels flying around like like F-22s in full afterburner, just racing around God's throne, roaring their praise. And you say, wow, I don't think they even need me. I mean, I'm nothing. I've got nothing. I am nothing. I've always been nothing. Babylon told me for sure I was not among the great. Over and over in Revelation 18, Babylon looks for the great, the great kings, the great merchants, the great captains, the great sinners, the great buyers and sellers, the ones who wield information and propaganda, the great movers and the shakers. That's who populates Babylon. I was never among the great. Ah, but look at the holy word of God reading verse 5 just before your eyes and listen to the voice of a merciful God. Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Unlike every greatness idolizing Babylonish gathering, the small assemble with the great in heaven and are given place and honor. There they are, like little children to whom Jesus said, let them come to me and not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Gathered in the place of heaven and their voices heard, though once forgotten but now remembered, The once disabled, but now whole. The once neglected, but now beloved. The once overlooked, but now chosen. The once marginalized, belittled, betrayed, neglected, and dehumanized. All the babies regarded as life not worth living, now standing alive and mature. All the women and children once exploited, all the slaves of every kind of degradation, all who trust in Christ, both small and great, but were pitiful in the eyes of Babylon, to be rejected, are gathered and heard in the thunderous worship of God. They all stand with perfect joy on their faces singing, Hallelujah. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, says James 1.9. Let the landing be a place where the small gather with the great. Let the joy of heaven be ours now, not just then. Let the joy of worship surge because we know God will avenge even the deaths of martyrs we hear about in the news. Let the joy of our worship in God surge because we wholeheartedly approve of his justice to cause smoke to rise forever and ever against his enemies. And let the joy of worship rise as the small and the great are welcomed, just like Christ does, just like heaven does. They worship God in heaven with loud hallelujahs because he is the one who has made 
the dwellers of heaven ready to be there. He's the one who by his blood has washed their clothes white. Their filthy rags have been exchanged and given white garments of linen. And he's the one who has brought them to himself and made his bride pure and ready for worship. You see that so plainly in verses 6 through 8. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Keep together in your mind always, dear ones, exactly what these words say to you. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, His bride has made herself ready. His bride has put on and made herself ready. She has clothed herself, but she has not earned or purchased or merited the righteous clothes that she puts on. No, they have been granted to her, verse 8. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Back in chapter 7, Revelation says this to us. Who are these clothed in white robes? From where have they come I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. She is to ready herself, put on the clothing, wear the beautiful clothing, and live in the right, white, pure deeds of righteousness. But it's God who has granted the bride, we the church, to clothe ourselves. None of us puts on clothes and says, these are the ones that I have purchased. No, Christ purchased them. No, these are the ones that I have cleansed. No, Christ has cleansed them. We put on clothing provided by another, and yet put on clothing we do. All of heaven worships because Christ is worthy to marry a beautiful bride. A bride that he has loved and cleansed and purchased by his own blood. A bride that he has made ready, and yet she too has made herself ready. Show the world that there's not a vast hypocritical difference between what you're going to be then and what you are now. Don't let the world say, look at how they talk about their heaven and how wonderful it's going to be there, but look at how different they act now. How easy it is for unbelievers to stumble when they see and read what we see and read and yet watch our actions and see how vastly they differ. Put on the clothing. Wear it now. Make yourself ready, bride at the landing. Make yourself ready with righteous deeds done in the power that God supplies such that He receives all the glory. Let the joy of our lives be offered to God as an act of worship now, knowing it will one day be a pure act of worship then. Finally, they worship God because God has revealed himself in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In verses 9 through 10, the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. 
worship God. What's the angel saying to John here? What's the angel saying to John? John was overtaken with the beauty and the wonder of this vision of heaven's wedding. There's the, there's the lamb, and there's the marriage banquet, and there's all the food, and there's all the beautiful colors. There's all the celebration, and the joy, and the hallelujahs. There's even in the background the smoke, and the smoke of Babylon's permanent torment even lends a greater weight and beauty and glory and wonder and power and solemnity and even joy to the worship of God who conquered her on our behalf. And the one who spoke it to John, mighty and glorious in his voice as all the angels are, gave John in his weakness and in his error and in his un glorified humanity, an occasion to reveal his wrongdoing. He bows before an angel, a creation of God, and worships the angel. Frail sinner, John is. Mere man, wrestling with temptation as we all do. If this was written by someone else as some kind of a hoax or joke, they never would have put this in. This authenticates the vision of Revelation because here's John showing what a blunder it was for him to go back into Babylon for a second. What you doing, John? You're just like us. How helpful is it to see John in a moment of weakness bowing before part of God's creation and not before God. And how kind it is that the angel says, you must not do that. You stop it. You can't worship me. Oh, the trouble I'm going to get in with my boss if you worship me, says the angel. Worship God. And then look at the reason he gives. Look at how he argues Think with me carefully. I am a fellow servant with you. I'm just ministering alongside you, John. You need to tell this to the seven churches who are under persecution. Write it down so that it can be recorded as Scripture for churches throughout the history of the time that Christ is away and until He returns. Prepare them to be encouraged and filled with hope at God's final victory over Babylon and the worship of heaven that ensues forever and ever. Tell them what it's like. I'm a fellow servant with you, communicating these prophetic testimonies to you. But we're together, John, talking about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Everything we say is all about Jesus. In fact, the name of the book of Revelation is the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation 1.1. This highest worship of all says, don't take your eyes off Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Even when you speak prophetic true words revealed from God, they're all about Jesus. The spirit of prophecy is always pointing to the testimony of Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. We're not worshiping God the way Muslims worship God, or the way Hindus worship gods, or the way the Buddhists worship God, or even the way the Jews worship God. We're worshiping the God who's revealed in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Lamb of God. And by the power of the Spirit of God, we come into the presence of God and we worship the one true God in rejection of all false counterfeits. 
Don't let the worship of God take your eyes off of the one whom we have seen as the very Son and person of God, the fullness of His glory, the Lord Jesus Christ. So take joy now in worshiping God, the God who avenges the blood of His saints. Take joy now in worshiping God, the God who is worthy of infinite praise. Take joy now in worshiping the God who welcomes both great and small. Take joy now in worshiping the God who makes your garments white and pure and ready for heaven. Take joy now in worshiping the scarred Lamb of God who invites you to His marriage feast. And notice just how joyful and how loud and how public the worship of God the Lamb is in heaven. May God bless Vacation Bible School in June as a public, loud, joyful expression of the worship of Christ. May God bless the Alaska team as they go to Anchorage with joyful, public, loud worship in Anchorage, Alaska with Awaken Church and the children of that Vacation Bible School. May God bless the outreach effort in September here in Proctor to Klang Park with the outreach team and many teams from the landing with public, joyful, loud worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Thank you for this vision, Lord, from Revelation 19 of what worship is like before you now and will be when we arrive. Thank you for the vision of worship which encourages us to live this way now so that it's not a demonstration of inauthenticity in us to act one way now and so very different when we're there with you. Clothe us with this righteousness. Prepare us even now to worship in these ways boldly and freely. Thank you for privilege opportunities we have to take and to make those opportunities where we can publicly and joyfully and even loudly say, Jesus is Lord and I happily serve him. Lord, Duluth and Superior needs a bold witness for Jesus Christ as much as any community I've ever seen. And I've only lived a small and sheltered life, but oh, how deeply it it seems to be going astray from you. And how confused it seems and how weary and guilt-ridden and shame-infused and sorrowful it seems. You're the hope of this city. You're the hope of this region. You're the hope of these United States and of the world. You're the hope. And almost no one is saying that in a public way. Thank you for the little glimpses of it that we, that we do hear and see, and we're so encouraged by those. But Lord, would you release the voice of Christians around the country and around the world to boldly proclaim their hallelujahs in a public setting and infuse that with a life that shows what hallelujah means? Create opportunities for the landing and for each of us, even this week, to boldly and freely and loudly proclaim hallelujah in an obvious, public, in front of unbelievers, joyful kind of way. 
Don't let us become obnoxious or offensive, but let the word of God be released with power from the voices of your people. We want to worship you now as we will worship you then. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.